Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX. For 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So last episode we were talking about how we were afraid that we would end up repeating topics because between the two of us, over 184 shows, we've done 368 different topics and we didn't keep a list. No. <laughs> Zach! Zach helped us out and sent us a uh, comprehensive spreadsheet yes. uh, of all the topics that we've talked about. And this is amazing. This is the best gift. This is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. that was, And he says he's studying, too. So he took time out of his busy schedule to create a Box of Oddities uh, spreadsheet. Which I need desperately. So I appreciate it. Uh, now I just need you to keep updating it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> hey, it's the holiday season after all. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, I'd forgotten how much I love watching Christmas Vacation with you because of your Aunt Bethany impersonation. <laughs> Thank you. Would you do a little bit of that for I don't, us? I can't think of a single thing that she says right now, so uh, I can't. Sorry. You, yes, you can. Uh, okay. Uh, Come on, you can I do it. I have to get into the, the okay. mode. I'm not even okay. prepared. I wasn't Jesus, pre- Bethany. Is this the airport clock? <laughs> oh, that just warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> and the, my cockles have been really cold lately. Sure. It's very similar to my uh, Lois Griffin voice. It is. Which, But that's more breathy. Let's do a side-by-side comparison. Okay. okay. Um, Aunt Bethany from Christmas Vacation. Is this the airport clock? And now Lois Griffin from Family Guy. Oh, Peter, yeah. I'm holding nice tea. <laughs> you are, you're correct. They're very similar. Oh, wow. My holiday season is complete now. Thanks. One of the things that, uh, that we hear quite frequently, and it, it really uh, it makes me feel good, is when people say, by listening to the Box of Oddities, 
they learn a lot of great ice-breaking topics. Yeah. If they feel a little so- socially awkward, they can, you know, say things like, did you know tapeworms come out of your ass and can be up to 40 feet long? You know, things that they've learned by listening to, right. to the box of oddities. What, t- things that you can use to make friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I got to thinking about that and how it is the holiday season. And you're probably going to be interacting with people more than you normally would and probably seeing family members members that you haven't seen for a while sure. and you're all trying to avoid the discussion of politics mm-hmm. which inevitably which you should and probably these get-togethers are all centered around food generally yes yes so here are some interesting conversation icebreakers little tidbits about the history of various types of foods i love this just for the holiday season. I've been seeing a lot of memes lately about how people are socially awkward. And uh, it's all like, um, you know, two people walking down the beach and it's like unsuspecting other party goers. And then this giant monster spider coming at them. And it's all like my awkward topics that I bring to the conversation. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's me. Uh-huh. And, mm. and me as well. Well, you're at your, your holiday party and you uh, you have maybe some, some bread and you're putting butter on it, you can say, did you know in ancient Ireland and Scotland, butter was so valued? It was such an, uh, an expensive commodity that it was used to pay rent and taxes. Wow. And so that'll divert the conversation. And you can, well, when other people start talking about it, you can back slowly out of the room. And find the dog to pet. Which is our go-to move. <laughs> I have many a party sat in the spare room with a dog and just talked to the dog and petted it and (laughs) controlled the music. And if that's not enough, while you're buttering your bread, you can say, you know that bread actually predates agriculture by 4,000 years? Oh, really? Yeah. Archaeologists found uh, charred remains of bread that was 14,000 years old. Whoa. They found it at a... uh, a site in Jordan that was occupied by hunter-gatherers 14,000 years ago. Charred, huh? Yeah, That's too bad. I was watching uh, Uncharted with Gordon Ramsay the other day, and he was in Alaska, and they were showing how you can bake bread in a pot next to a fire. And it's, I mean, I get that that's the kind of the nature of how food started being cooked, but it blew my mind. I was like, in a pot (laughs) near a fire? (laughs) What? (laughs) Salisbury steak. That's the steak that has gravy on it, right? Yeah. It was invented by James Salisbury as a treatment for his patients that were anemic, had uh, colitis, gout, rheumatism, Tuberculosis and asthma. Oh, it was it. It was for Salisbury all of that. Salisbury steak cures tuberculosis. Yeah, interesting. Yep. Too bad nobody else picked up on that. Uh, he said his prescription was to eat it three times a day with lots of hot water to rinse out the digestive system. I have a quick question. Did Go. he have like a beef farm or something? Yeah. Also, because that seems. Yeah, he owned a steak in Hormel. No pun intended. <laughs> steak. Speaking of meats, okay, so, let, you know, cured meats are, are a popular thing during the holidays. You know, people put out little, like, uh, what are the Hickory Farms platters, yeah. you know, and... Shirt. Yeah. Shirt. Whatever. I don't know how to say it. Cured meats. Mall kiosk food. <laughs> well, um... Chartucheries? Is that how you say it? It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Please Attila, continue. Attila the Hun's army had a really unique way of curing their meat. 
they put it between the horse and the saddle and rode on it. <laughs> <laughs> and the horse's salty sweat yeah. would cause the meat to cure and last longer. And also it was being tenderized while they were galloping around. Of course, they also get like a tell of the Hun's ass sweat yeah. on it as well, too. I, I'm going to vote no on that. kind of their version of Salisbury steak, I guess. Fried mozzarella sticks. Ooh, girl. Yeah. When you think of those, you think of someplace like TGI Fridays. Correct. Or, yeah, yeah. The earliest known recipe for fried mozzarella sticks goes back to the 15th century France. Really? Where they were prepared in an iron skillet in beef marrow. Oh. Yeah. Remember that time that we tried to uh, fry cheese? In the deep fryer, but it just yeah. <laughs> kept like making the oil really gross because it melted and got all nasty. Yeah, we, we didn't have any concept of how to no. deep fry foods. And we tried a lot of different things. We actually did a thing called deep fried Saturday night for a while. Yeah, where uh, we'd wear togas. We wore togas. I don't know why, but and it was nobody there, just you and me. Yeah. We got this deep fryer and decided, <laughs> let's put on togas and just fry shit. That was a good time. What did we fry? We fried bananas. Yeah. Uh, we fried cookies. Uh, we fried. We tried frying cheese. That we did uh, broccoli and cauliflower. Right. Right. Sponge cake. Yeah. We, there was. Was it sponge cake or we, angel food? It, cake? Angel food cake. Yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite. That was really good. Let's talk about French toast. That's a popular holiday breakfast. At least in my house, it always was. It seems a bit regal and elegant, doesn't it? No, I have a very unpopular take in that I think French toast is gross. Who are you? I know. What are you, drunk? <laughs> it was actually developed by uh, poor European families to use their stale bread. They could only afford to buy the old stale bread. And so to make, make it edible, they would moisten it with milk and eggs and then fry it up. So yeah. That's, yeah, that seems right. Mm -hmm. It seems like something that would have been created out of necessity and not because it's a good idea. <laughs> it's like the, the story of how waffles became... Um, a thing. I don't know about waffles. I, I, this is, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what my mom told me when I was little. Oh, okay. Okay. That waffles, it, it goes back to the times of um, like knights, knights in, yes, knights in shining armor. Uh -huh. And they would make these breakfast cakes, like pancakes. Sure. And, but by cooking them on the stone uh -huh. on a, by a fire. And accidentally, one time, a knight in his armor sat on it. And created little divots in it, and he realized that it it held the butter and syrup in. So I would always picture like this knight in shining armor walking around with a bottle of Aunt Jemima's pancake syrup and a stick of butter. I know that your mom was a great storyteller. Yeah. Um, so you don't think that's true? I, I can't say. No. I don't have the data on okay. that. <laughs> well, this I know is true. The ice cream cone was invented because of tuberculosis. What? Yeah. That's an excellent topic starter, even if it's not true. <laughs> Back in the 19th century, when they sold ice cream, they sold it at like drugstore fountains, ice cream fountains. And at shoppies. <laughs> the ice cream shoppies. And they would serve them in small bowls. Mm-hmm. You've seen the old-fashioned ice cream sundae dish. They had little miniature versions of those, and they would put—they called them penny licks—and they would put 
just you know, like a couple of tablespoons of ice cream into this miniature, what looked like a glass ice cream cone. And the people who bought it would eat it and then lick the inside of the um, of the dish mm-hmm. and hand it back to the ice cream guy, the soda jerk, mm-hmm. if you will. And they would rinse it out and use it again. And because of that, it spread tubercul- a lot of diseases, but it led to, in many ways, the, an explosion in uh, tuberculosis infection. So they invented ice cream cones rather than washing the dishes? That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Macaroons. Oh, they're so pretty. Not delicious. They are pretty. They were popularized in France, but they actually come from Italy. Well, it sounds like macaroni. That's true. <laughs> Catherine de Medici's Italian pastry chefs are thought to have uh, brought this recipe over from um, when, when, when she married uh, the Duke d'Orleans. Oh. Honestly, I shouldn't say that macaroons aren't delicious. Probably if I had like a real macaroon from a real macaroon. A macaroonery? Patissiere. Then uh, I would be like, this is amazing and delicious, but I've only had like, you know, Kroger macaroons. (laughs) Pozole, a traditional Mexican stew. Am I pronouncing that correctly? P-O-Z-O-L-E, pozole, pozole? You know, I don't know. Okay. Well, it has its origins in cannibalism. Pre-Hispanic people prepared it with the flesh of human sacrifices during festivals. Um, the tradition of making pozole or pozzoli on special occasions survives, but they, they skip the whole human flesh part and substitute pork instead. And where is this supposedly from? It's a Mexican stew. All right. Nestle's Toll House Cookies. I'm getting set to bake some of those a little later on this afternoon. Yes, you are. Nestle bought the chocolate chip cookie recipe from the Toll House. Nestle Tollhouse. For one dollar. Oh. So that was a good investment. Yep. Christmas morning, you'll probably have some orange juice. Frozen concentrate. That was invented by the government. Oh, was it kind of like a rations type thing? Yeah. Like government cheese style? Sort of, yeah. During World War II, the U.S. needed some kind of a, a way to easily transport uh, a source of vitamin C to the soldiers. Mm-hmm. So they came up with frozen concentrated orange juice. And in the late 40s and going into the 50s, it was mass advertised as uh, tasty and healthy and pretty much become a staple. When I, I, I don't drink concentrated orange juice anymore. I did a lot when I was a kid, but I still really enjoy eating concentrated orange juice with a spoon. Really? You did that as a kid? Yeah. I mean, I still would. If we had some right now, I would eat that shit. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to write that It down. is delicious. I'm still looking for stocking stuffers for you. <laughs> Why is my stocking dripping? Eggnog was invented in medieval Britain. Man, they liked putting eggs in things. They did. That's what medieval actually means, time when people put eggs in things. Yeah. The ingredients for eggnog were so expensive back then that uh, nobility, uh, royalty, and, and aristocratic class used eggnog as a toast to show off their wealth. So it's just like, here are a bunch of things that are expensive. I'm going to put them in a glass and show you. Yeah, that's mom, it. Mom, 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 that's mom. it. Here are some things that you'll never be able to have. Cheers. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, nog. Yes. What's that mean? 
Definition of nog, a strong ale formerly brewed in Norfolk, England. I've heard of grog. Is it grog-like? I think grog was... Was Grog Viking-y? I envision a bunch of uh, beastly-looking men in armor, probably more often than I should. Grog is any of a variety of alcoholic beverages, uh, originally referred to a drink made with water and rum. Hmm. But then there's that meat meat booze, too. Remember that guy at the brewery was talking about the meat booze? Yeah, I don't remember what that was, though. Anyway, I've gotten us way off topic. Sorry about that. Nog. In the Middle Ages, they used bread as a plate. They would bake flat, thin loaves of bread. Like a naan? Kind of. They called it trencher bread. And in many cases, it was just regular bread that had gone stale. But uh, sometimes they specially created, they specially baked trencher bread to use as a plate. And once they were done using it as a plate, they would give the plate to the poor people to eat. Oh, okay. At least it was flavorful. While they were toasting them with nog. Right. I still love a bread bowl. Especially like with French onion soup. I like a broccoli cheddar, but whatever. Fortune cookies. Most of the fortunes in fortune cookies came from one guy. His name was Donald. He was the chief fortune cookie writer at Wonton Foods, and they claimed to be uh, America's largest fortune cookie manufacturer. He wrote fortunes for the cookies for 30 years. Wow. And he retired recently, like I think 2017, because he said he had writer's block. I can imagine after 30 years yeah. of, you just, I'm out. I would hope that he has a comprehensive Excel sheet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'd yeah. be like, a new venture will be prosperous for you. Wait, oh no, you've used that yeah. one already. All right. Uh, what about a new venture will be... Donald needs his own Zach. (laughs) Did you know pizza was originally a dessert? No. Yeah. For centuries, it was a sweet food. It included ingredients like currants and jam. Mm. Savory pizza recipes with ingredients like tomato and mozzarella only started to show up in the 20th century. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I had a dessert pizza at a baby shower I went to one time. It was like... Instead of crust, it was like a cookie, and then there was like a cream cheese base, and then there was fruit on top of it, and like some sort of weird drizzle, and it was amazing. Pop-Tarts. That was a result of innovations that were made by General Foods when they produced dog food. Oh. In the early 60s, they used a, a certain type of technology that uh, let their Gainsburgers dog food patties stay fresh without refrigeration. And that process led them to create a breakfast pastry. And General Foods owned Post. So Post Toastums was the original version. We think of that as more of a knockoff. Mm -hmm. But Kellogg's immediately stole Post's idea and created Pop-Tarts. Oh, that must be frustrating. Pound cake. You know why it's called pound cake? Because it weighs a pound? Yeah, well, it's because the recipe was created for illiterate cooks in the 1700s. For simplicity, the recipe calls for one pound of each ingredient. Oh, smart. Yeah. I went to a... I don't know why so many parties are coming up right now, but I went to a housewarming party once that was called a, a pound party. 
And well, I know that sounds terrible, but means something entirely different in my neighborhood right, growing well, up. They didn't have the basement set up yet. Um, so it was like you had to bring a pound of something that would help them start their household. So like a pound of flour or a pound of nails or a pound of wow. screws. Wow. Or, yeah. And it was it was fun. It was a fun idea to see like what kinds of things people came up with, you know, to bring a pound of. Probably that kind of pound party was a lot easier to clean up after. Ancient Romans used, well, they had their own version of wedding cake for marriage ceremonies, but it wasn't like the soft, spongy kind of cake that we have today. It was made out of uh, wheat or barley. And the tradition was after the ceremony to signify the marriage was sealed and would bring good fortune, the groom would break the cake over the bride's head. Okay. Okay. Huh. Kind of the precursor to shoving cake in faces. That I guess so. Everybody does now, and it's just not that funny. We did not do that. Uh, I don't even think we ate cake at our wedding. No, I don't think so. I mean, we had one, and I was told it was delicious, but I don't remember eating any of it. I think you saved the top, but you left it in, in the back of your car for like a week, yeah. and so we we just threw it away. That sounds right. What was the cake that I was eating on the floor that time? Was that wedding cake? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it was after the reception and you were sitting on the floor eating cake. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's some stuff to start conversations during your holiday get-togethers. In other words, something to act as a deflection from you having to interact with people. I like it. Happy holidays. And now... That thing in the middle. Keeping with our food topic, uh, the thing in the middle is weird condiments from around the world. Sauces make everything better. Number five, Filipino ketchup. It's basically a spicy banana sauce. What? Yeah. Number four, Jutgal. It's a Korean sauce made of deceased sea creatures. Mostly fish guts and roe and shellfish and is that the is that the stuff that they let kind of like ferment ferment no no it's, it's fresh dead sea creatures oh, oh good i well, don't know at least it's fresh number three piccalili it's been popular since the 17th century it's a blend of mustard turmeric and vegetables and has been described as looking and smelling like cat vomit oh bon appetit mon frere number two Smorgas caviar. It's a Scandinavian sauce or condiment uh, that involves packing fish roe and mayonnaise together and squeezing it onto everything. Number one, tekimali. It's made from sour Georgian plums, and it's kind of—it's like a national condiment in Georgia, the Eastern European nation. It looks like ketchup, but it's often described as pungently tart. That does not sound amazing, but I'd be happy to try it. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's triviality. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. So, yes. we're not historically great at holding on to gifts until uh, Christmas Day. Um, <laughs> we kind of just give each other things as they arrive, uh, which is, right. you know, it's well, good fun for everyone. I just get so excited when I'm like, this is going to be something that I'm going to give to her on Christmas Eve. It'll be so great. Oh, it showed up early here. Have it. I... Uh, Gave you the gift of a new chair yes. uh, yesterday. Yes, and you did. You may notice that there is no squeaking. I am uh, I'm moving around in it right now, and you hear no squeaking. Because it don't squeak. It does not squeak. Of course, you hate it, but it <laughs> doesn't squeak. So that's something. I don't hate it. <laughs> it was very thoughtful. Well, yes, that's the thing that you say about things that you hate. <laughs> So, uh, it's a gaming chair. It is, and it is designed for people gaming for long periods of time. And so, it is almost like in a in a normal reclining position. It doesn't go up any higher than like ten o'clock. I'm sitting back in it right now. That's how far back from the microphone it is. So it's like. Yeah, yeah, but you push it back, and then you're like, it's so far back. <laughs> Just sit like a normal person. That's what I've been Enjoy doing. Enjoy your chair. It's very thoughtful. I can bring it to work, too. I mean, that's just something that could work out uh, for me, is all, all right. I'm saying. Okay. Uh, be nice. You're very thoughtful. I love you very much. Okay. Thank well, you. I don't we'll just hate get you this a chair. different chair that you like better. I don't hate this chair. <laughs> it's very nice. 
It's got like a heater on it. It keeps my bum warm. It does have a heater and a massage options. Yeah. Which yeah. is why I thought it would be nice for you. It's also great for curing meat. That's right. I can sit if on a you want to put some salami. <laughs> just turn on the heat. It's very nice. We should stop talking about it because the more that we talk about it, the more it comes out that you don't like it. And that's fine. You don't have to. We can get you something else. It's very thoughtful of you. Oh, God. I love you. <laughs> It's the worst thing you could say. I'm just going to sit back in my chair and listen to your story. So, uh-huh. What you got for me? God, you're a dick. All right. I've already ordered you something else anyway. <laughs> All right. So you lots. This chair we're, is great. We're moving on. I think it wouldn't be so bad. Like, it, Okay. So I have uh, lots of things that are wrong with my brain. And one of the things that that happened to me is like if I – let's say I apply for a job. Right after I apply for the job, I'm sure that – Uh, It was a terrible idea because there's no way that I'm qualified or that anyone likes me enough to hire me. Um, It's the same with gift giving. Like I'll I'll come up with a gift and I'll be like, this is a great idea. And then as soon as I either get it in the house or have it wrapped and ready to go, then my brain goes, there's no reason that they're going to like that. This is a terrible gift idea. You should just go ahead and bury yourself in the front yard. Um, So I think that it's that's not so much that it's not the best chair and, you know, it's not working for you because that's fine. And I understand that. I want you to have a chair that works for you. That's the point. Uh, but it's that that thing that's already in me that goes like, oh, he, why would he even like that chair? That's a horrible gift idea. And it's just that because it's not the best chair. Sure, sure. So, yeah. I it's know, already triggering I, that thing in I, me. I, I know. I get that. You know, and it's like if you expect somebody to do something – that irritates you, mm-hmm. and then they do it. It makes it so much worse. Yeah, I suppose that's true. The same kind of thing. I guess, though, if I don't expect someone to behave a certain way and they do, then that's irritating, too. Yeah. Like, just as irritating. So, yeah. Well, for me, it's like, I knew they would say that. Oh, all right. Yeah. In, in my mind, it always makes it worse. Anyway, um, your new gift will be here next Tuesday. So... Cultures. Cultures? They're neat. Yes, they are. Um, And there are cultures that exist without numbers. Uh, They are uh, oftentimes from South America. Uh, There are Amazonian cultures that exist without numbers. They have words for things like some or a few or a lot, but not like specific word numbers words. Not specific number words. You know what I'm saying. No, I don't. What do you, what do you mean? What so you they, mean? they don't have words for three or 17 or 22. They've got words for some or a few or a bunch, but not words for specific how do numbers. They, how, do they do, how do they do math? See, that's the thing. Um, they don't need to because of the way that their society works. I they guess don't if you just say to. some and just, right. you know, that's it. So. It's really interesting to see that there are these cultures that live in such a way that they don't need those numbers. Um, It's the same as there are certain cultures that don't have words for left or right. They (laughs) use uh, the cardinal directions for everything. Um, So they have this incredible built-in almost like GPS system inside their brain because they work in that way all the time. That's fascinating. And with these people, it kind of works the opposite. Because they don't have specific numbers, there are very normal functioning adult human people who have a really tough time 
differentiating and remembering quantities higher than four. Whoa. How do they package donuts? Now, that's a great question. I think that they go to a nearby village to get their Krispy Kremes. Mm. I don't know. So... In a very specific experiment, there was a researcher who was placing nuts into a can one at a time, like, hmm, 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 okay, and then removing them one by one. And the person watching is asked to signal when they think that all the nuts have been removed. And responses suggest that people uh, like this, they're called anumeric people, have some trouble keeping track of how many nuts remain in the can even if there were only four or five in total. Wow. It's just not how their brains have been trained to work. That is incredibly fascinating. So when you think about the fact that you become functional in the ways that you learn to become functional, um, there's no such thing as a person who's like good at numbers. There's there's just people who have trained their brains to work in a different way. And it becomes... Um, whether it's with directions or with numbers, you can become an entirely different person based on just how you learn, which is fascinating. When people don't have number words, they struggle to make quantitative decisions or distinctions that might seem natural to you or me. So I was reading about this and um, also looking for uh, a topic for today. And one of my friends, Kirsten, was like, well, here's an interesting little tidbit. And she told me about this. There are a total of zero zeros in Roman numerals. So Greeks were aware of zero as a concept, but they didn't consider zero to be a number. Aristotle decided that zero wasn't a number because you couldn't divide by zero. And uh, they would use Roman numerals for trade, but you're not trading anything for zero, so there was no need for... And that is completely logical. Instead of a Roman numeral, the Latin word nulla would have been used to represent the concept of zero. But because in trade, you're you're never going to be trading for zero, there was no need for that. So I got on a bit of a kick looking for other fun number stuff. And so that's what I'm talking about today. Here's some more neat number stuff. Again, these are perfect little information nuggets to drop in at the uh, at the party. Right. You're right. That you don't want to go to this holiday season. And we all go to them. So where did zero come from? Uh, it was invented at different times at in different parts of the world. Uh, despite a adaptation that was kind of scattered about, it's generally accepted that the Indian astronomer and mathematician Brahmagupta brought up the concept of zero for the first time around the year 600. Uh, besides this, he contributed to a lot of mathematics and astronomy. Like I said, different parts of the world come up with the concept of numbers rather than just the general idea of some or many items at different times. Here's an interesting little nugget. Four is the only number with the same number of letters as the number that it represents. So F-O-U-R. Wow. Four is cool. the only one that that's, that's a thing. Is that your new favorite number now? No. 11 is my favorite number. Okay. And here's an interesting snippet 
about 11. It's called the 11 rule, and it is a quick way to multiply two-digit numbers by 11 in your head. Now, <clears throat> I wish I had known this many, many years ago because it would have made things a little easier for me. Um, math was never really my strong suit. And because I don't remember things the way that other people seem to be able to remember things, uh, my times tables were not great. I was good with sixes and nines. Fives, uh, I, was, I was good at fives. Fives I could do. Yeah. Yeah. Sevens got me all screwed up. Oof. Oof. Here's how to remember multiplying two-digit numbers by 11 in your head. Think of a two-digit number. 24. 24. Okay. So you separate the two digits in that number, two and four, and add the two together. Okay, six. Six. So then you jam that new number, six, in between two and four. 264. That is 11 times 24. Jeez, that's crazy. And that works consistently. It's nuts. So pick another number. That is a crazy math hack. I know. Another so, number. Okay. Uh, two digit. Yep. Uh, 31. 31. So three plus one is four. So what is 11 times 31? 341. Wow. Neat, right? Very neat. That's not just an interesting nugget for a party. That's a party trick. It's true. Oh, you're going to be so popular at your holiday party. Uh-oh, that's probably not good because then you'll get invited back mm. There's, it, you just got to find that balance the reason that i was good with multiplying nine is because of the finger trick so do you know that if you are needing to multiply something by nine um if the number is below 10 you can just hold up your fingers uh -huh. all 10 of them right flip down the one that you're multiplying nine by mm. And your fingers will show you what the answer is. Oh, that's crazy. So yeah. if it's um, nine times, let's say, four, 36, you'll see three fingers on one side uh, of your I folded uh -huh. finger uh -huh. and six fingers on the other side right. of your folded right. finger. That's, wait, that didn't make any sense. Yes, it did make sense. Okay, so that's how you multiply uh, numbers by nine real, real fast like. And that's the finger trick. That's the finger trick. Don't. Don't make it something gross. I know what you're doing. Don't make it into something gross. I was going to say, that's not the... About favorite. pound parties. Yeah. <laughs> you beat me to it. Okay. So we're, we're moving right along. Mm -hmm. You know how I have a really hard time with uh, Celsius versus Fahrenheit, right? Yes. I don't... I, I know there's like an easy trick. Like, oh, you just add blah, and multiply by blah, 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 blah. I don't... Nope. It won't stay in there. I just go, ooh, that sounds cold. Mm -hmm. And then I move on with my sure. life. Uh, the only temperature that is the same in both Fahrenheit and Celsius is 40 below zero. Interesting. It's the same. There's lots of fun facts about 40, though. So there are 40 standard spaces on a Monopoly board. The uh, maximum number of players on a Major League Baseball team uh, is 40. Oh, and typical pregnancy lasts 40 weeks. What does it mean, though? It's a magic number. Oh. Um, back to nine, though. I should have I should have gone right into this after the finger trick, but then you got me all flustered with your pound party. Okay. Um, so if you multiply a number by nine and add all of the digits of the new number together, are you are you following so far? Um, yes. Okay. 
So multiply 20 by 9, for instance. 180? Mm-hmm. No matter what number you multiply by 9, the sum, if you add those digits together, will always equal 9. Wow. So, so 1 plus 8 plus 0 is 9. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. What does it mean, though? I don't know. Mathematics is the universal language. Yeah. And uh, Lateralis by Tool is a wonderful song based on the Fibonacci sequence, unrelated to uh, any of the other factoids it's that I just have here. That we really love Tool. And finally, think of any three digit number in which each of the digits is the same. So, like three, 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 or. Okay, right. Gotcha. Two, two, two. Okay, and then add up those digits. Three, 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 that's nine. Okay. So now you divide that three-digit number by the answer that you came up with just now. Nine divided by nine? No, it was three, three, three. Right. Divided by nine. The answer is 37. Three, three, oh, 333. Right. Divided by nine. Correct. Okay, all right. So whatever the three-digit number is, if you add all those digits and then multiply by that, that result, you'll I get 37. See. Every time. Every time. Every time. Regardless of. 666-777-888. Works every time. What does it mean? 37. Mm, the number 37. Uh, anyway, that's neat. Good stuff. So now consider yourself well prepared for your holiday party. All kinds of stuff you can just throw in. And again, I recommend you just pick out a few choice ones and then when you come in to the uh, social situation, you start to feel awkward, just drop one of those. And when people start talking about it, mm -hmm. go pat the dog. Try to stay closer to like these topics rather than, you know, worms. <laughs> yeah. We hope you continue to have a great holiday season. Uh, again, we're taking next week off, but we will return on the following Monday. Until then... Keep flying that freak flag, holiday style! Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.